Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. And so got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown, Lions. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein. This is episode 200 of the program, of the podcast. And as many of you know, if you've listened a bunch before, this will also be the final episode of the show. And I will get into a little bit before we start, as I said, when we kind of announced that this was going to be coming to an end, that the last show was going to be a mailbag episode, because this whole thing throughout all of it has been all about you, the listener, uh, the reader who has become the listener, the TV watcher who has become the listener, the Twitter follower who has become the listener. It's all about you, and I want to make the last show about you and about the questions you had about the franchise you care about. Uh, I honestly was hoping for some other questions, not about the Lions, but almost everything was about the Lions, so, you know, it is what it is. But I wanted to make this last show about you, about the loyal listener, about the the people who have gotten me through these 200 episodes, gotten me through the five days a week of recording every week this season and essentially every day during training camp. We produced over 100 episodes of the show this year, uh, possibly over 150. I'm not actually even sure. I'm, I'm close to that. I think it was over 150 episodes this year. Uh, a lot of episodes, but it, it was fun or not this year, but meaning 2020 year, 2020, I guess, into the very beginning part of 2021. But this has been a blast to do. This has been enjoyable to do. And uh, I'm grateful to all of you for listening, for your feedback, for your questions, for telling me my takes were crazy, for telling me my takes were spot on, all of that. Uh, I appreciated every interaction. I appreciated every download, every subscription, every follow, because it told me that at least somebody was out there enjoying this show. And this was very much a labor of love, although my partnership with Blue Wire did bring some money in. It, it was more of a labor of love than than anything else and a labor of man hours to try and bring you the best information I could and the most interesting interviews I could about the Detroit Lions and about some other topics because we talked about baseball with Jeff Passan. We talked about basketball. We talked to, we had Jeff Perlman on to talk about the Lakers. We had Dan Murphy on to talk about the Larry Nassar scandal and his book, Start by Believing. Uh, you know, some of these people, very good friends of mine, and I'm grateful for all of my guests. I, to list all of them would probably take up 20 minutes on the show, but multiple time guests like my ESPN colleagues, Rob Domofsky, Courtney Cronin, Jeff Dickerson, Daniel Dopp, 
good friend of mine, Cynthia Freeland, one of, you know, many, many people that was willing to come on the show. Dave Burkett, who has been on many, many times, was our last guest on yesterday's show, is somebody who I consider a close friend as we go back a long time before we both started covering the Lions. So grateful for all of those guests, the players who came on the show, from Glover Quinn to Darius Slade to Barry Sanders to Tyrell Crosby and Joe Dahl and Sam Martin and Matt Prater. All of these people who were willing to chat, former players who came on like Ray Roberts and like Ryan Broyles and like Travis Swanson. Grateful for, for anybody who was willing to pop on the show for a few minutes. And that means a lot to me because it's not an insignificant amount of time to come on the show, take 45 minutes, an hour. In Lawrence Jackson's case, when we talked to him, an hour and a half to an hour 45, I felt like, out of your day, out of your life to come and chat about the Lions or about life. I never take that time for granted. I never take time that people are willing to give me for interviews for granted. And for a podcast that wasn't affiliated with ESPN, that was being run by me and then eventually promoted by Blue Wire, uh, that means a lot that, that people were willing to have those conversations with me. And hopefully you took something from those conversations, from those interviews. I got to interview some of my best friends, uh, Jeff Passan and, and Greg Bishop and Dan Murphy, and like the, these people who, who mean a lot to me as well, and got to expose you, hopefully, if you didn't know them before, to some of their work. Um, this podcast has been awesome. I've really enjoyed doing it. I know that in the past week or so, I've gotten a lot of feedback from listeners saying, you know, they didn't want it to end. And I understand that. And I said I would explain it and I can explain it just kind of like this. I can't go into too much detail, but just there were some contractual things that made it unable to have the podcast anymore for now. I'm hoping that one day in the future, maybe we can bring it back. But for now, for the foreseeable future, uh, and maybe for good, the podcast uh, it has to come to an end. And I'm sad about it. I've loved doing this, but it's time and I understand that and I'm grateful for having the opportunity. I'm thankful to Blue Wire Podcasts for taking a chance on me when literally we were a show that if you listen to the first you know, five, ten episodes, we had some major audio issues almost every time out and Blue Wire still saw enough in the podcast to take it on and to say, hey, we want you to be part of our network and, and we'll help you out with some stuff. And to Regents Field, who the bar in Ann Arbor on South Main Street that was willing to take a chance on me and, and Dave Burkett referenced it in yesterday's podcast, like you'd hear ski ball in the background because of the way the way it was set up for a while. And uh, the person who really kind of worked with me on it, the people that worked with me on it, Matt Leach and David Woodley, I'm eternally grateful to them because if it wasn't for them, this podcast would have gotten started in the early going and wouldn't have really kind of gotten any sort of traction and, and wouldn't have gotten the attention of Blue Wire to to get there. And and the people at Blue Wire, the team at Blue Wire, man, I, I got to be honest, they, they're doing some great things, some awesome things to – I'm really curious. I'm really excited to see what they do in the future because they are growing 
guys like Kevin Jones and Tyler Chin and Peter Moses and I mean it's watch out for them because they're gonna they're gonna do some big things here in 2021. I'm really excited to see what they do in the future and I'll be I'll be rooting for them every step of the way and obviously I'm grateful for my bosses at ESPN for letting me do this podcast for 200 episodes and you know it's 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 tough to describe what it's like to end something. And, you know, like I said, I I wish we could have kept the podcast going, but the reality is just right now, that's not a possibility. And, um, you know, that that's kind of just the truth of it. So uh, I'm not really sure what else I really want to say about it. Um, other than it has been an honor and it has been a privilege and it has been a blast doing it. And as I've said to people who have inquired, I'm going to try and do more a little bit, at least kind of the mailbag type stuff, maybe a little bit more Facebook chats, a little bit more Twitter chats, maybe some Twitter broadcasting, uh, some Instagram lives, which we used, which we were doing for a lot of pregames this year. So hopefully y'all will, will follow over there and I'll try to maybe have more of a set time and maybe we'll do that once a week and hopefully people will pop over there and, and enjoy that. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Rothstein, on Instagram at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And yeah, uh, hopefully one day we do this again. But for now, obviously, it's uh, this is the last episode. And I'll have a little bit more to say at the end of the show. Not to keep you around for the entire program. This is going to be a long podcast. But uh, I've got a little bit more to say at the end. But with that, we're going to jump right into your questions. Uh, I've talked probably long enough a little bit here. Almost the first 10 minutes of the show. Didn't realize I went on that long. And uh, and here we go with your questions. We'll take a few. We'll get into a break. And then uh, we'll roll through the rest of it. My guess is this will probably be a pretty long episode. The first question comes from Birch House, who's at Birch House D. Hate to see the pod go. Here's my first question for your last mailbag. Is there a path to extending Stafford this year to, one, free up near-term cap space, two, demonstrate commitment for four to five years and kill the noise? Obviously, this hinges on leadership wanting number nine as a long-term solution. I mean, I guess theoretically they could at some point try and work out an extension. I don't get the sense that that would be something that would work for either side just yet. I would imagine at this point the Lions would want to see what they want to do in the 2021 season. And I would imagine that Matthew Stafford would want to see where things are headed with the Lions in 2021, see what the plan is, whether it's going to be a full rebuild, a partial rebuild, see how they compete if Matthew Stafford is here in 2021. Because he's only getting older. And if I'm Matthew Stafford, I would have to make the decision, do I want to spend the last good years of my career in Detroit in a situation that may not win, or do I want to try and go somewhere else, whether it's by trade or whether it's after the 2022 season or I guess theoretically the 23 season if they wanted to use the franchise tag on Matthew Stafford? I, All of those questions are valid. I don't imagine that they would extend Stafford this year. You could see them if they decide they want to keep him and whoever the new general manager and head coach wants to keep him at least for 21, I could see them trying to do a restructure to open up some more cap space 
could see that as a possibility. We've seen Matthew Stafford's contract get restructured before, but I think that you're probably not looking at that long-term commitment at this point right now from either side. And who knows, maybe Matthew Stafford will come in and say, I really want to finish my career here if you if y'all will have me. And, and maybe they work that out. But right now, at this point, to me, for either side, it doesn't make sense to get that done. And even if the Lions do want to commit to Stafford, they do have to start thinking about his replacement because from a long-term perspective because he's dealt with a lot of injuries. Listen, he guts through all of them. There's no question about that. There's no question about his toughness. But at the end of almost every season, the last four or five years, he's had some sort of injury, whether it's a finger injury, whether it's a thumb injury, whether it's a back injury, whether it's ribs, whether it's an ankle. I mean, his body's been pretty beat up. So you have to start thinking about the future. And those are just questions that I would ask. But it's an interesting thought. And I think it's a question that will get asked to the whoever the new general manager slash head coach is. But I don't see that happening in any sort of uh, imminent place. To me, I think if Matthew Stafford's here in the 2021 season, that's a conversation that's happening after 2021. Rob Johnson is at REJ Inc. Worldwide. I really want to say my piece on something before the show ends. Anyone who is a fan or watches the Lions can see all the holes on this team, especially on defense. Using an early pick on the one-ish position we are good at seems illogical. Thoughts? I think it depends on who's there. I think it depends on what you're looking at. If Zach Wilson or Justin Fields falls to you at seven and you feel like he is maybe the second best quarterback on the board, I think you make that move. I think you take him. That's what I would do. At this point, uh, unless going back to the prior question, you have designs on committing to Matthew Stafford long term. If I don't think you take a quarterback, just take a quarterback at seven. I, I don't think you just say, all right, you know what? Trey Lance is the fourth best quarterback on the board sitting here at seven. Don't necessarily think the values there. There are other players there, but need a quarterback. So you're going to take him. I don't think they're going to do that. That, that would be bad management unless they love Trey Lance. But to me, I think if the quarterback that you want, that you think you can build around long-term is there, I think you make that move. Absolutely, I think you make that move. If you don't see that, then yes, I think that you maybe look at receiver. I think you look at the front seven. I think that there are multiple spots that you can look at to say, hey, they need to get better here. Mark Siegel asks, in the next three days, can you comment about the edge rusher from Miami that the Lions are scheduled to take in round one? And obviously, this is just going based off of mock drafts at this point. And I mean, I am not, he didn't play this year. Assuming you were talking about Gregory Rousseau, he didn't play, he, he was not there. And to me, I don't know. I I haven't done a ton of homework yet on the 2021 draft class because didn't know where they were taking. And considering, I don't know, there's a ton of questions to me in what the new general manager, what the new head coach are looking for, that I wasn't going to do a ton of research yet on 
basically any prospect except for maybe some of the quarterbacks until we kind of know what they're looking at. Now, obviously, I've watched some of the guys and receivers like Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase, even though Jamar Chase didn't play this year, and Jalen Waddell, even though he's been hurt a little bit for Alabama, are like no-brainers to me. Like, they're so, so talented. But I... I just haven't dug in yet, and I'll write a lot about it, obviously, in the next few months. To me, um, I think Gregory Rousseau is super athletic. I think he's very intriguing, but I think right now we need to know what type of scheme whoever the head coach is trying, whoever the new head coach is, is trying to run before we would make any projections about any front seven player. And I like him as a player. I think the Lions clearly need edge rush help. I think he's one of the best edge rushers in this class along with Quiddy Pay from Michigan and yeah so I think there's potential there but I, I don't want to speak too much because I just can't really say all that much and a second question from Mark Siegel and then after this question we'll go to the break what would it take to get Carson Wentz or Sam Darnold in regards to a draft pick and do you see them as a Stafford replacement so I talked a little bit about Sam Darnold on the show with Burkett yesterday and I would be really intrigued by Sam Darnold, if you could get him on the cheap, because I think that he has talent. I think if you're getting the right coordinator, quarterback, coach to develop him, I think there's still a lot to work with there. Um, I think that he's a guy that's still on a cheap enough-ish contract that you can bring him in for a year in a trade and see what you kind of maybe are working with there and then have to make a decision after that. So, to me, I think that Sam Darnold would make more sense. Carson Wentz probably would be a non-starter because of Carson Wentz's contract. And I I can't really see that. Now, what it would take to get them, I don't know the answer to that question. I think it's too early to tell as far as compensation. Because, again, I don't even know. We don't even know how this new general manager or head coach is going to feel about Matthew Stafford. And if they feel like he's the guy they want to go with in the short to medium term, then you're not making a move for Carson Wentz or for Sam Darnold because you're probably looking at a rookie and developing a rookie behind Matthew Stafford. You know, you I could see them trading for Sam Darnold to back up Matthew Stafford for a year. I could see that possibility potentially, depending on what we're talking about cost-wise in capital coming back or going out rather. But I, I just can't see them making the move on Carson Wentz unless they were moving on from Matthew Stafford. And I don't necessarily think that right now you would do that because of the contract that Carson Wentz has. I mean, part of the, the reason you would move on would be to either get a quarterback on a cheaper deal uh, or a quarterback that you can get for cheaper than what you are getting Stafford on. And, you know, I think you can do that with Darnold right now, but Wentz already has a contract. So I, to me, I, I just can't see that, that happening. That's just not, that to me doesn't make much sense. Sam Darnold would be an intriguing possibility to me. Another guy who would be intriguing to me would be Jameis Winston, frankly, again, in a maybe backup type role, but you have to figure maybe New Orleans tries to re-sign Jameis Winston, have him compete with Taysom Hill. Who knows what's going to happen there? Uh, but again, I think the more likely scenario of all of this is a rookie quarterback getting taken by the Lions at some point here in day one or day two as the theoretical heir apparent to Matthew Stafford. And if the team does move on from him, 
before this season that they find another sort of bridge quarterback instead of maybe a Carson Wentz. Maybe that's the move where you would get Sam Darnold and maybe make him a starter and just say, see what you have for a year, but also draft a rookie and make it more of a competition. Going to be interesting times, though. Uh, and we'll get more into Matthew Stafford here after the break because there are a bunch of questions about him right here on the Michael Rothstein Show last episode. Hey, everyone. Before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. Really appreciate it. Let's just jump right back in. Al per- Alan Perlstein, Al the Lion, asks, the Quintricia era was an unmitigated disaster. How soon, if ever, do you think that Matt Patricia gets another coaching gig and Bob Quinn gets another front office job? Really enjoyed your podcast. Sorry to see it, and best of luck in the future. Um, so, yeah, I I don't know the answer. I would Listen, I would imagine that Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn both get jobs again in football if they want them. They could get them as soon as this offseason somewhere, could take a year off and get one again next year. Could easily see both of those things. I don't anticipate them getting a head coaching gig or a general manager gig anytime soon, but I could see Bob Quinn ending up in a front office somewhere. He's got a lot of friends around the league, and he, again, I don't think he did an absolutely terrible job as general manager. I think he had more wins than people are giving him credit for frankly and I could see him ending up somewhere as an assistant GM as a senior personnel executive as a player personnel director very similar kind of what Martin Mayhew's role was with the Giants and then with San Francisco can see something like that happen Matt Patricia I honestly don't know could he end up as a defensive coordinator somewhere absolutely without a doubt it's possible maybe you know Arizona would hire maybe Tennessee who knows let's see what positions what jobs open up right could I see him as a position end up as a position coach somewhere? Yeah, I could see him ending up as a linebacker's coach somewhere as well, without a doubt. I could also see him taking a year away and reevaluating some stuff and taking some time and, and figuring some stuff out. Any of those things are on the table, but I have a tough time thinking that Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn are done in football. I just don't know if that'll happen. And Listen, we have seen many a head coach who were just bad from the jump as head coaches end up still successful as coordinators or position coaches in the NFL. Like, that's just 
the truth of it. Or maybe Matt Patricia chooses to go to college. Uh, he has, you know, some of that experience back at Syracuse. And, you know, I, I think there are some colleges that would probably be interested in him in some form or fashion if, if you wanted that. But, yeah, I would imagine he gets another job. Maybe Matt Patricia goes back to New England. Maybe there's a way to find some room for him on the staff there in some form or fashion. I, like I said, I don't imagine that Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn are done with football, especially Matt Patricia, who, I mean, that man, for all of his faults, that man loves himself some football. There's no question about that. Next question comes from David Majors, who's at Call Me DJM. Fans like to tell themselves that a team can rebuild quickly. So what is it about the Detroit Lions that continually goes wrong? What is at the core of seemingly never finding the right pieces in the right front office? Man, if I knew the answer to this question, I would be a consultant and I would be making all of the money. <laughs> like That's just the honest truth of it. Uh, I don't know the true answer here. I, I really don't. I think it's a combination of factors. Some of I've I've tried to do some digging on it in the past and just haven't come away with a, a story that I felt comfortable with writing. Um, to me, some of it is luck, without a doubt. Some of it is probably being too loyal, and I think we saw that specifically during the Matt Millen era. Some of it is mismanagement and bad decisions and casting too shallow of a net which we saw in the bob quinn and matt patricia era uh some of his bad draft picks some of it is um bad coaching all of those things it's been a little bit of everything it is amazing to me that in a league that's built on parody and built so there is parody that the lions can continually to get it wrong so often like that to me is a very confounding thing but I've also looked at other franchises that are kind of woebegone franchises, right? You look at the Browns, who went 18 years between a playoff berth. You look at the Bills, who before three years ago had not had a playoff berth since 1999. The Bengals, before Marvin Lewis, were atrocious. They went 11 of 12 years under 500, and the one year that they were over, that they were not under 500, they were 500. Like, that's incredible to me by the way it also shows why maybe marvin lewis should be a low-key higher consideration as a potential head coach for the lions like he, he, i don't think he gets the credit he should for how hard it is to win and win consistently in cincinnati which he did i i, I don't i don't know the total answer i wish i did man i it's probably a nice research project for Somebody wants to go into football administration or football research. So if there's anyone listening to this show that's a grad student or an undergrad that wants to go into football or football analytics and wants to take that on and, and wants to share their information with me when it's done, please, you know how to get a hold of me. I'd be really interested in reading it because, yeah, I, I don't know the answer. I, I do believe some of it was, was loyalty and sticking with things after they're not working. Which, I mean, to Sheila Fordham's credit, yeah, could they have and should they have maybe pulled the plug on Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn after 2019? Yeah, but give her credit that it didn't last. It's not lasting into 2021, which it very easily could have, at least with Bob Quinn. So to me, 
I think that there's there's a new leadership in town, and I think that that could maybe bring about change. I think whether they get these hires right or not, they at least have the process right. I, I like their process, and I think that that, at the end of the day, is half of the battle, is getting the process right. And I think they're doing the process correctly this time around. And we'll see what type of results that yields. But as a Lions fan, you should take solace in that. Tony J, who's at T Time 90, asks, which players can you identify that could be considered cap casualties and roster restructures for next season to clear cap space going into free agency in the draft? So again, this in some ways will depend on the new head coach, new general manager, and how much of a rebuild they believe that this is. But some guys that immediately kind of come to mind are Jesse James as a cap casualty, Desmond Trufant as a potential cap casualty, but maybe you don't get rid of him because he could potentially also be your number one cornerback and his contract isn't that brutal for a potential number one cornerback. Uh, you could see... Christian Jones is another potential cap casualty. Danny Shelton and Nick Williams, depending on what type of defensive scheme they're running, could both end up being cap cuts. Joe Dahl could be a cap cut, although I would keep him around. He can play multiple positions. He's really good as a utility guy. So those would be some names to look at. As far as restructures go, Trey Flowers, Matthew Saver, basically anybody with a big-ticket contract. Halapuli Vitae, although I probably wouldn't want to mess too much with the contract to put any sort of guaranteed money or more money later in that deal. Uh, but like a Matthew, like those types of big ticket type contracts that the Lions have, Taylor Decker, if you need really to create cap space, you can restructure there. And that's one place to look, especially if you think that per player or those players are going to be part of your team for a while. And to me, of those guys, you're probably looking at Decker and Flowers as the two most likely restructuring of deals because it's just shift. It's the same amount of money. It's just shifting it from one place to another. Taha Jamil, who's at T Jamil 4196 asks, would it be cheaper to resign Marvin Jones to a two to three year deal and draft a wide receiver day one or two? Then tagging Galladay. I've really enjoyed the podcast. Any chance it comes back in some form next season? So first question, Marvin Jones. Um, I think it's possible. But again, it goes to, does Marvin Jones want to come back to Detroit? Does he want to be part of a rebuilding process? We talked with him about that during his last media session. He's excited to get to free agency, excited to see what the future holds. I don't get the sense that Marvin Jones would be down for a restructure or a rebuild. I just don't get that sense. I think Marvin Jones is at the point in his career where he wants to win. And and I think he wants to try and compete for a championship, similar to what Adrian Peterson said about not having the stomach for a rebuild. Marvin Jones wouldn't come out and say that because he wants to leave all options on the table. And I think if the Lions came to him with a contract offer and he was and they were the best option, I could see Marvin Jones returning, especially if Matthew Stafford was still here. I think that 
no Matthew Stafford would likely equal no Marvin Jones because you're probably looking at a longer process, a longer rebuild, questions about the quarterback, where Matthew Stafford is a very enticing situation for Marvin Jones because of, Ma- of Marvin Jones' success with Matthew Stafford and vice versa. Plus, the families are also quite close. And Marvin Jones said that his kids and his family will have some sort of say in this as well. So to me, I think having the Staffords around would be an attractive thing for Marvin Jones. But I think it will come down to money. I think it will come down to location. And I think it will come down to where the franchise is and what matters to him. Marvin Jones is very analytical and very calculated about these decisions. He was when he decided to sign in Detroit. And he will be again this time around. And if you ask me right now to handicap it, I would say Marvin Jones is playing somewhere else next year. But let's see what happens in free agency. Let's see what the new general manager and head coach, what their true plan is before any of those decisions are solidly made. But I absolutely think that Marvin Jones at least will get to free agency and will want to test the market. Uh, I can't see a situation unless they completely throw him some big-time contract where he would return before at least getting to the first part of the tampering period for free agency, because I think he wants to see what else is out there. As far as the podcast may be coming back in some form next season, uh, I would say don't, I would never say never, but as of now, I don't see that happening. Now, between now and August is a long time and we'll see what happens. And, We'll see how things maybe shake out. Put it this way, a year ago, if you had told me that I would have spent all of, for the most part, March, April, and May inside my apartment with only going for walks outside into the grocery store, uh, I would not have believed you. If you had told me I would have gone to New York twice, uh, or not even twice, once all year, I would have not believed you. I, I, If you had told me I wouldn't travel all fall and I would miss road games, for the first consistently for the first time in my career, I would not have believed you. So all of that said is, I guess, never say never. But right now, uh, the podcast is going away. There are not designs on bringing it back. If they if we are able to at some point, I would love to uh, make no mistake about that. But uh, as of now, I don't think that that's something that is going to happen uh, at any time in in the near future, and, and at this point, there's no plans on it. But listen, if that happens, I will gladly do the podcast again. Uh, one last one from Taha. Do you think Rod Wood honestly believes that the team is closer than we think, or is he just trying to sell fans more hope? Well, you set me up here to to reference Ted Lasso one more time. That it's you know it's the hope that kills you. Um. I don't know. I think that they believe that they are closer than fans think. I I do believe that because I think that they believe that they have a lot more. They have a lot of pieces on offense. Rod Wood even said, listen, the defense needs a reconstruction for sure. Like he even admitted that. But they really believe what the pieces they have on offense. Now, a lot of that's going to be tied into Matthew Stafford. Again, I think that if unless they're really trying to tear it down or a massive offer comes in, I think that Matthew Stafford's probably here in 2021, and that's a key to that offense. But your receiving core is gutted, 
You don't know what that's going to look like. You still have some questions on the offensive line. You have some questions at running back beyond DeAndre Swift. So I think the offense has a chance to be really good, but we'll see who the coordinator is and, and what that offense scheme is going to look like. But this defense needs a lot of help. I don't know if they're going to be able to rebuild that in one offseason. I think it's probably going to take two to three, especially because they don't have a ton of draft capital. But, again, maybe they can get some. We don't know what this free agent class is going to look like. You even got some questions on special teams at kicker and at long snapper. So I don't necessarily think that the team is as close as maybe Rod Wood is leading it to believe. If you've listened to this podcast, you know my feelings on it. But I can understand where he would believe that and where Sheila Ford Hamp would believe that and where some football people could believe it, that they're, they, are, they do have pieces. But are those pieces enough to be closer to a contender in – what looks like a really good NFC North, that's really tough. But also, don't forget, with the added playoff spot every year, you are kind of closer to the playoffs than you know you would have been any other year because there's their extra spot, hence the Bears being in the playoffs despite being a very average team. So I think it depends on, on where you're trying to get to. But to me, it was, I think, a little bit of selling hope, but probably – believing it as well Douglas DePorter who's at Dougie D 89 asks probably dependent on who we hire as general manager coach but what do you see is more likely drafting a quarterback in the first round or replace Matthew Stafford maybe as soon as next year or drafting a quarterback on day two that can learn under Stafford for a season or two I think it depends as we talked about earlier on who is available at number seven I think if there is a quarterback available at seven then I think you could see a quarterback taken in the first round. Now, that doesn't mean that quarterback's going to replace Matthew Stafford in year one because, understand, there are plenty of situations where that does not happen. Kansas City is an example. The Giants are an example, uh, at least early on. Now, obviously, Daniel Jones ended up replacing Eli Manning. But while Eli Manning was still on the team, Patrick Mahomes waited a year before replacing Alex Smith. But there are those examples. Um more likely, unless a quarterback falls or unless they trade up or what have you, and there's a lot of time between now and the draft, yeah, a day two quarterback and giving that quarterback a year to develop, to me, seems like the more likely scenario. Now, is that under Stafford? Is that under another bridge quarterback? I don't know the answer to that question yet. But I think that that would be where I think the Lions would look more than a quarterback in the first round, unless they see someone they really like at seven, which to me would be the whoever doesn't go to the Jets, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, if they're able to, if they are able to get to seven, or if they're really in love with Trey Lance, but you might be able to trade down if you can find somebody that wants to trade up, not for a quarterback, maybe trade down to ten or eleven in that range, and still be able to get maybe Trey Lance. So to me, and then you'd be able to acquire more picks, more capital, help this re- potential rebuild, at least on defense, much faster. So to me, that would be an intriguing situation as well. Todd Richardson, who's at TE underscore Richardson, asks, what would you as a Lions fan, and I'm going to laugh at that because I think longtime listeners to this pod know what's coming already, like to see for Matthew Stafford next season. I've always wanted him to stay, but recently I'm coming to, around to he should go to a win-now team, New Orleans or Indy would be interesting. First of all, uh, I get to say it one more time. It feels fitting on the final show. I'm not a Lions fan. I 
do not root for the Lions to win. I do not root for the Lions to lose. I, them being in existence is helpful to me because of uh, my job. I wouldn't have a job covering the Lions if the Lions didn't exist. But I have to do my job, win or lose. It does not matter to me either way what happens. Uh, I've long said on this show, it's good to either cover a team that wins a lot or a team that loses a lot because those teams are more interesting than the mediocre 7-9, and 8-8, 9-7 and teams that you just don't really know what they are. They're just kind of there. So to me, uh, I'm not a Lions fan. I just want, I don't root against them, don't root for, root for them. I have no rooting interest in football except for whatever the best story is. So that is generally what I root for. Just felt like saying it one more time. And to your question, uh, for Matthew Stafford, I think that whatever he wants, whatever he truly wants, I hope the Lions grant him. If that means staying in Detroit for another year, I hope the Lions grant him that. If Matthew Stafford says, listen, I I really think that a fresh start's needed. I want to move on. I've only, I know I've only got X amount of years left, and I want to go to a winner. Uh, or, I mean, I can't see him doing this, but I want to go play in Atlanta where where I live in the offseason uh, and where I played my college ball. Like I, And again, that's just another example. I don't think Atlanta is that much closer than Detroit to, to winning. But if he's basically saying, I want to go somewhere else and start fresh, if I'm the Lions, I say, okay, if you can find a trade, if you, go find trade partners. You know, have your agent, Tom Condon, go go work and, and try to find some trade partners. And we as an organization will see what we can do to do that. Not going to guarantee you that, but we will see what we can do to make happen. Like if I, they're not going to release them. They're not going to cut them. That cap hits too large without getting something in return. Let's make that perfectly, perfectly clear. But if Matthew Stafford went to the Lions and said, I, I, "I'm, I've had enough. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I don't have the stomach for a rebuild. I don't, you know, I, I don't. I, we've tried. We've made this work. I'm really appreciative of you as an organization, but I think it's time on both sides to move on. If he went to them and said that. If I'm the Lions, I, I try my best to grant that. But Matthew Stafford's given no indication that, that is what he wants to do. Uh, he had said when we asked him those questions at the end of the season, he said he wanted to spend some time with his wife, Kelly, some time with his daughters, wants to have conversations, and then he'll see what he wants to do. But whatever Matthew Stafford does, I would hope fans are appreciative of Matthew Stafford and yeah, he didn't win a playoff game. Yeah, he didn't win a division title. Yes, there are people out there who talk about how he was all how he basically got a lot of empty stats late in games. And all of those things are accurate. However, Matthew Stafford, and I think you saw it really over the last month of this season, the Lions had nothing to play for. He could have easily folded up shop and said, you know what, I'm good. Let's roll it up for next year. That dude went out there in meaningless game, not meaningless, but meaningless games, meaningless in terms of playoffs, meaningless in terms of, of postseason. But you know, every game has meaning to these players, and he went out there and played, and he played hard. I mean, this dude, even with a botched up ankle, like literally went to get it worked on and tried to come back in the game, even when it couldn't put a lot of pressure on it. Like he wanted to come back in, 
against Tampa Bay. Like, this is a dude who likes to play football. He's a gamer, man. And I, I hope people respect that and appreciate that from Matthew Stafford. Uh, because the guy's a really, really good quarterback. He is. I know that there are detractors. I know that there are people who, who do the talk, talking thing for a living and the writing thing for a living that, you know, don't think he's all that good. And, and, and all those. Matthew Stafford's a really good quarterback. Does he have his flaws? Absolutely. Does he try and do too much sometimes? Without a doubt. But he can play. He is a really, really fantastically good quarterback. And to me, where would I want to see him? I want to see him wherever he's happy. If he's, if he's content in Detroit, if he wants to keep try and run it back here, go for it. If he wants to go somewhere else, I hope they're able to ma- move him somewhere and move him somewhere where he can play for a contender. Jeremy Friedrichs, who's at FriedrichsJK, asks, if it becomes obvious that Galladay does not want to be a Lion long-term, does it make sense to try and re-sign Marvin Jones? We talked about this before, and yeah, I mean, that's the only way I think that you re-sign Marvin Jones is if you don't think that Galladay is going to be around, whether it's going to be a walk or a tag-and-trade scenario. That's maybe where you try and re-sign Marvin Jones. If you're determined to make it work with Galladay, I don't think you can bring back both Galladay and Marvin Jones with the cap space that you have and with the reality of how many other holes that you need to fill. It's probably a one or an either or scenario. It might be a neither scenario, but I don't see it as a both scenario. And that's up to, again, the new head coach, new general manager. Galladay to me would be the higher priority. And I don't get the sense that Galladay doesn't want to be a lion long term. I, I get the sense and Burkett and I talked about it a little bit on yesterday's show that, you know, the contract negotiations were not going particularly well. Uh, but that group is gone now. You know, Kenny Galladay has long said he want, would like to be in Detroit. The Lions took a chance on him in the third round. He's a guy that, you know, was very self-made. Remember, he's a guy that, you know, had started out in North Dakota. He had no real offers. He had to make his own highlight tape to get himself to Northern Illinois. Like, this dude did a lot of the work on his own to get here. And I think that he recognizes the loyalty piece of that and would like to stay if it works out, but he's also not going to stay for under market value. And I don't blame him for that. And again, it could be a quarterback situation too. You know, maybe Galladay doesn't want to stick around if, if Stafford's not here. There, there's so many moving pieces and moving parts with all of this. But And it may not be Galladay's decision, as he even acknowledged. Like, if they tag him, they tag him, and he has no say in that. You know, then he has a say of whether or not he shows up, and that's where it goes in the tag-and-trade scenario that uh, we talked about a little bit on yesterday's show. So all of those things kind of, you know, fit right in there. Bobby430761 asks, Enjoyed the podcast this year. On your opinion, whose regime was worse, Matt Millen or Bob Quinn? Well, I'm going to go with Matt Millen because Matt Millen's regime was longer. They were 0-16, and it went on probably way too long. Bob Quinn, his regime was shorter. It did not go that well, and let's be honest, he had a couple of successful years. He had a couple of 9-7 and years in there. That's not bad. His decision, and we talk, again, we talked about this a little bit with Dave, that Bob Quinn's failings very much came with making the decision to hire 
Matt Patricia and then not pulling the plug on Matt Patricia sooner because that might have saved his job. Now, are they maybe still looking for a GM at this point? Sure. But Bob Quinn probably makes it to the end of the season if he moves on from Matt Patricia after week four or if he goes to ownership and says, hey, let's pull the plug on this at the end of 2019. Now, maybe ownership tells him, well, if you're doing that, we're going to pull the plug on you too. But, uh, you know, I think that would have shown that he rectified his mistakes. And he often did that with players. And that was one of, I think, the best things Bob Quinn did was he recognized his mistakes with players. But he clearly just didn't do that in enough time with Matt Patricia. And I would say overall the Millen regime was worse because it went on longer and had the 0-16 season. But Bob Quinn's tenure and regime was not particularly good. However, I think that he made some good moves. Taylor Decker draft pick, really, really good draft pick. Frank Ragnow pick, fantastic pick. TJ Hawkinson, listen, I know that people don't like the tight end. and I get, I get all that. But TJ Hawkinson has a chance to be a pro bowler maybe six or eight times in his career. Like he's trending that way. He's trending to become the second best tight end potentially in the NFC. Now, obviously, things can happen. Guys can move into the NFC, out of the NFC. But other than George Kittle right now, who who do you got in the NFC that is above Hawkinson as a tight end? What Maybe Zach Ertz, but he's been dealing with injuries. Maybe Evan Ingram, but I would take Hawkinson over Ingram. So other than Kittle, what are you looking at, right? In the AFC, obviously, you've got Travis Kelsey. But then even there, after Travis Kelsey, it's a pretty wide-open conversation. So I think that you're looking at a guy, if he ends up, again, making four, five, six Pro Bowls in his career, that's a good pick at number eight. I don't care what position he plays. Don't care. So I think that he did a pretty good job for the most part. We'll see what happens with Jeff Okuda. I think it's too early to tell there. Jared Davis, obviously not a great pick. I think that he also wasn't used necessarily the best way, uh, particularly in the Matt Patricia era. So I think he was good in the first round, not good in the second. His free agent signings hit and miss, too many Patriots, but we also don't know how much of an influence that was with Matt Patricia as well. And, you know, I think, again, the downfall goes to Patricia. And he, more than any other general manager in the NFL, should have had an idea of what Patricia wanted and he went out and maybe got some of those players and it uh, did not work. And, you know, it's le- it left the Lions with some bad contracts. Like, all of these things are just the reality and that's not good, but to me Matt Millen was worse. Um, there's there's no doubt about it. Matt Millen was, had the worst regime. Jeremy Zide, who's at Zide, Jeremy asks, bigger hole, linebacker, or defensive tackle? I'm going to go with linebacker. Because right now, if you're the Lions, you have one linebacker that you can feel good about, and it's the rest of the unit theoretically will not be on the roster next year. Maybe Jelani Tavai ends up on the team. Maybe they re-sign Jalen Reeves-Mabin uh, as he's more of a special teams guy. But you might have three new starters. You know, Dave and I talked about this again on the podcast yesterday too. You may, I think that you probably have two new starters at linebacker because maybe you still start Jamie Collins. And maybe, depending on what the new defensive scheme looks like, maybe you bump Julian Okwara into more of an outside linebacker edge rusher role. but or And or, and or Austin Bryant, and maybe you feel good about one of those two as a starter. But to me, you've got to revamp this entire linebacker core. To me, that's the weaker unit. Because at defensive tackle, you, again, depending on the scheme, Danny Shelton is serviceable. 
John Penasini has potential. Like you at least have something there. And you also have a couple you have an end and Trey Flowers that you can kick inside on passing downs. And depending on what they do with Romeo Aquara, he's another guy. If they do resign him, you can kick inside on passing downs. So to me, I think that linebackers they're much bigger problem than a defensive tackle, but both are big issues. Make no doubt about it. And edge rusher, also an issue, especially with Okwara and Everson Griffin heading toward free agency. Goblin Sox, who's at Wiggins Andy, asks, do you expect the Lions search committee to be transparent with the process, who they are bringing in and such? Why or why not? I do. Uh, Rod Wood said as much that after they are done conducting interviews, they will announce them. They have largely done that so far. Uh, They've done it mostly off of social media. Rod Wood did announce that they had interviewed Marvin Lewis and Eric Bieniemy, and were interviewing Daryl Bevel on Tuesday. So they have been transparent, at least with the interviews. Do I expect them to say much more? No, I don't. But I think they at least will say, hey, this person has interviewed. We have completed the interview with whomever. And if you look around, that has largely been standing oper- standard operating procedure for teams of late. Now, why is that? I think part of it, too, is that Every team has their own kind of website and own little media entity, and they want to be able to keep up with the times, especially getting beat on obvious news that people want to read about coaching searches and general manager searches, that it behooves them to at least report those and, you know, announce those decisions, or not decisions, but announce those interviews. But I anticipate they will be transparent, and I think that Rod Wood, frankly, and Sheila Fordham when she talked, have been transparent with their process. They've talked about what they are looking for. They have said that they are going to be open. And frankly, with you, when you look at the people that they have interviewed or are planning to interview, I think that they have shown that they are open to a bunch of different ideas. Now, if you look at largely who they have talked to as far as external candidates, I think you can start to get a feel of what type of candidate they're looking for. To me, I think they're maybe looking for more experience in the GM spot. And they're okay with maybe not as much experience in the head coaching role, but they clearly want a leader and a motivator that that's been made very clear. They talked a lot about unity, a lot about inclusion, a lot about working together instead of one person working for the other, et cetera. So I think they've been really transparent and really open with what they've done so far, uh, which I think has been helpful and, and good for fans because I think it's just, it's been more valuable to that for for the fan to say, okay, look, they're at least taking this seriously and they're at least talking to these people and all of these people and and that's how that goes. Jeremy M, who's at JM Huron, asks, which of the current wide receiver core do you foresee being a lion in twenty twenty one? I see Quintez Cephas being a lion in twenty twenty one. Maybe Geronimo Allison. He's under contract. We'll see if he makes the team. Other than that, I don't know. I would say, I'm going to say Kenny Galladay. Well, they're all lined in 2021 right now because it is 2021. But uh, after, you know, March 15th or so, after the start of the new league year, March 17th, whatever it is, I foresee Kenny Galladay still being on the Lions. Do I think he's necessarily on the Lions September 1st? I don't know as much about that. Again, goes back to that tag and trade conversation that we had. But I think Kenny Galladay's on the Lions. Other than that, I think you're probably looking at a new wide receiver core. 
Maybe they bring back Jamal Agnew. That, to me, would be a possibility. If they decide to move on completely for Kenny, from Kenny Galladay, maybe they come bring back Marvin Jones. But, again, I think it depends on what you're looking at from a rebuild perspective. Jamal Agnew would be an intriguing possibility for me. I think he showed flashes this year. We know what he can be as a returner. And I think that there could be some value there in still trying to develop him as a receiver uh, in the slot. But that's it. Otherwise, I think you're looking at largely a new receiver core in 2021. And, you know, maybe that's through a combination of the draft and free agency. Being, it's going to be an interesting process. And it could be a draft pick in that number seven hole, too. Uh, Heisman Trophy winner Devonta Smith, maybe. If he's sitting there at seven, if I'm the Lions, I think long and hard about maybe making that move and taking him. Same thing with Jamar Chase. Like, I, those two guys, I think, are really special. Andrew Burris, who's at Andrew Burris, asks, I would love to get your final thoughts at the end of the day. Is Stafford quarterback one for the 2021 season? If I had to wager on this at this point in time, I would say yes, Matthew Stafford is their quarterback in 2021. If you ask me to, like, have to put money down on it or, you know, make an absolute gut-feeling prediction right now, I would say yes, Matthew Stafford's the Lions quarterback in 2021. 2022? Completely different story. But right now, January 5th at around 8 o'clock, I I would say yes, Matthew Stafford is their quarterback for 2021. You ask me this on February 5th, depending on who they hire as a head coach, as a general manager, what those vantage points and viewpoints are as far as where the franchise is, might have a completely different answer for you. But right now, I would say yes, I, I feel like he will be the quarterback next year, but I don't feel greatly confident in that. I just feel like that's kind of where it sits right now. But there's so many things in play. Bash, who's that? Bash, WR82, asks, Why can't this franchise produce an offense slash running back that consistently run the ball for 100 yards per game? Is Stafford the reason? It's mind-boggling. Remember what the Lions did to New England a few years ago when they ran for 159 yards against them. That, okay, a couple things. First, that's a one-off scenario, and we've seen the Lions run really well against other teams in the past, too. Why they can't have one consistently? I think DeAndre Swift can give them something consistently. Uh, I don't think that a 100-yard-per-game back is something that you see many teams in the league have, other than the Titans and the Vikings. Uh, you know, And, well, in different lifetimes, the Cowboys. Other than that, you're not really seeing a ton of that. Maybe Seattle, but Seattle does it by committee. Like, I, I think you can see it. I think that they've come close. I mean, as a group, they've run pretty well. I thought they ran pretty well this past year. I think Kyle Kasky, the running backs coach, who is one of the coaches I would try to retain if I am the new head coach, um, did a good job with this group. I thought they ran well. And, you know, I, I just don't think they're going to have, at least as long as Stafford's here, depending on what the identity is, I, don't, I just don't see them being a team. And I don't see many teams in the NFL that are going down that road of being run first, run first, run first. This is a passing league at this point. It just is. And that's just the truth of it. But I think there's some fallacy there as well because the Lions this year, just so you know, 
as far as running yards per game, they ran for 93.7 yards per game. Now, granted, that put them 30th in the league. So, it's not great, but they also were playing from behind a lot. And that's some of it too, right? When you're playing from behind, you're not going to run the ball as much because you need to throw to, throw to catch up. And that's, that's part of it. So, to me, when I look at this, I say, okay, well... That's just the reality of it. But you look around the NFL, and 26 teams averaged 100 yards or more on the ground this year. Like 26. The only ones that didn't, by the way, Atlanta, Tampa Bay, Jacksonville, Detroit, Houston, and Pittsburgh. What do most of those teams have in common? Well, except for Pittsburgh, Tampa, Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay, they're all looking for new coaches and new general managers, actually. like They're looking for new everything. So... Yeah, I think that tells you what you need to know. I think that you could see whoever they hire put an emphasis there, and and maybe it happens this time around. I think you have the back to be your lead back in DeAndre Swift, but we'll see what happens down the road here. But I don't know why they haven't been able to consistently do it. Under Jim Caldwell, that was just not kind of the philosophy under this past regime. I don't know why it didn't really happen, but... At least with Jim Caldwell, like that, he never had a good rushing offense. It just didn't really happen. Wally, who's at Wally, nineteen seventy-five. How come Galladay was never placed on injured reserve? It always seemed unlikely he was going to play since his hip injury. I don't have an. I put this in here because I was trying to answer every question. I don't know the answer. I I don't. I don't. I just have no real concept. I think. For a while, they were hopeful that he would be able to come back. Then even Galladay said he had some sort of setback, even though he didn't really want to use the word setback. And then from that point, I don't know why they didn't. Um, I I don't don't have a good answer for you there, why they wouldn't have placed him on IR. I I don't think it, you know, mattered one way or the other. And he clearly just wasn't going to play. But also, listen, he just – you only play 46 – on in a given week anyway. So if you didn't put him on IR, I don't think it's a huge deal because who are you going to call up? It's not like you're going to bring in a big-time playmaker. You're going to call up Victor Bolden or Tom Kennedy maybe. I mean, that's just the truth of it. But I, I don't have a good answer for you there. Ryan Guzman, who's at Ryan R. Guzman, asks, is this really in need of a full rebuild? Seems to me that there are several pieces in the right spots. Clearly the defense needs it, but... Really, even with the D, there are pieces to build on. So we talked about this a little bit with Dave Paquette yesterday. But I think that the pieces on offense that they have that are long-term pieces, and that by that I mean four years or more still, definitively. Frank Ragnall, Taylor Decker, TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift. And it's tough sometimes to even call a running back a long-term piece. That's it. I think there are questions with Stafford. Uh, obviously questions with Galladay, nothing else on the offense. So there is building that needs, and you know what? I'll throw Jonah Jackson in there as well. I I think that you can count on him potentially as a potential long-term piece. Tyrell Crosby is intriguing to me, but I'm not ready to go and call him a long-term piece yet. I want to see him play a little bit more this coming season, see where they fit him in, see what they're trying to do before, I think that he ends up being a long-term piece. But I liked what I saw from Tyrell Crosby. However, I think they're still, they need some pieces on offense. On defense, 
Trey Flowers, Jeff Okuda, maybe Amani Awarie or Tracy Walker. Maybe. I To me, I need to see Tracy Walker have a bounce back season in 2021. Maybe that comes with a move back to free safety. We'll see what the new defensive core, who the new defensive staff thinks. And beyond that, Trey Flowers is under contract. He's a good player. He's under contract. That's part of why he's considered a long-term piece. I like Amani Awarie, but I need to see more of him. And if they go to a cover three, as Dave Burkett and I were talking about, if they go to a different type of zone, maybe more of a zone-type system, do those guys in Okuda and Awarie fit that? I think Okuda, again, a long-term piece because of the contract. And again, I think he has a lot of potential. But where else? You need a full new linebacking core. Other than Flowers on the defensive line, I don't think there's anyone that you're like would call a, a foundational piece. I think Penasini's good, but scheme dependent. We don't know what Julian Okwara is going to be. Maybe assign Romeo Okwara. Maybe you make him a foundational piece, which I think would be a good move. But linebacker, you don't have one. Jamie Collins is on the team next year, but largely because of contract. And other than that, what, what do you got? You got nothing. So, yeah, I don't even it may not be a full, 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 like tear it down to the studs rebuild, like what we saw in Miami and and some other places over the last few years. But I think it's more of a rebuild. I I think it's more of a rebuild than what Rob Wood was talking about today. And I think that it's going to take more than one season because of the draft capital and because of the cap situation, even though they're not in a terrible cap situation like Atlanta, like some other teams. They're not in the best cap situation in part because of what will be a potential shrunken cap this year, plus some bad contracts like that they're in. Now they'll get some relief by maybe making some moves and getting and having some cap casualties. But I don't think they're one off season away. I think they're probably two or three. Bobby No Lane, who's at Bobby No Lane twenty two. Should the Lions get Urban Meyer and draft Justin Fields? Did Bevel impress you enough to give him a full season as head coach? And if so, what connections does Bevel have for coordinators to bring in? First thing, I mean, if the Lions could get Urban Meyer to agree to an interview, sure. Is Justin Fields going to fall to seven? Probably not. If he was at seven, would I draft him? Yes. Um, I don't think it's that simple with Urban Meyer. And frankly, with Urban Meyer, there are questions. Health is a major question with Urban Meyer. His health issues are a major question. If someone were to hire him, I would have a lot of questions. The college to NFL transition doesn't work for everybody. I think Urban Meyer is a winner. I think he can do it. But there is that unknown. Do I think that if he was interested in the Lions, the Lions should absolutely pursue that? Yes, 130%. If he's interested in the Lions, the Lions should hire him. You take that chance on Urban Meyer. But the health issues would be a concern. As far as Daryl Bevel, I was impressed by what Daryl Bevel did. I wrote about that a couple of weeks ago. I think that he showed a lot. I think he showed that he has the potential to be a head coach. Do I think that that should be in Detroit? No. Because I think you need to kind of start fresh. I think you really need to kind of wipe the slate clean of a lot of stuff. And that's just my opinion. If all of a sudden they came out and said, listen, we think Daryl Bevel is, is the guy. I can understand where they would say that. I can understand why they would say that. But I I have a tough time seeing that. But I think Daryl Bevel should get a head coaching opportunity, a full-time head coaching opportunity somewhere at some point. 
this cycle, tough to say. Maybe in the next couple of years, yeah, I could I could see that for sure. I think that this five game experience really probably helped him and did him more good than harm for sure, showing that he can be a leader. And the fact that defensive players were talking about how much they liked playing for him when they really had nothing to, you know, gain or lose because Deron Harmon's a guy that probably isn't gonna be back next year, no matter who the head coach is or general manager is. Like to me that that spoke volumes. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, would I put him as the favorite? No. Would I put him as um, a candidate? Yes. I, I think he is a legitimate candidate. I just wouldn't put him as a favorite by any stretch of the imagination. But it's clear that he has a lot of respect in the building. Matthew Stafford clearly likes working with him. Rod Wood clearly likes him and went out of his way to commend what he did. When he talked today, and it wasn't just kind of a parting gift type situation, they did grant him an interview on Tuesday. So, yeah, I I think that he's a candidate. Uh, as far as what connections for coordinators, I I don't know what he would want to do there. Um, I get the sense that he would probably revamp the defensive staff. I would think on the offensive staff, he might leave a lot of that. Again, I don't know this. This is just pure speculation. But you might see some of those pieces stay in place um, because he's worked with a lot of them. Uh, he talked a little bit, obviously, about Sean Ryan becoming a play caller and having worked with him become a play caller. Now, would Bevel give up play calling? I don't know. So maybe he would be the play, maybe he would be the play caller and you bump up Sean Ryan to, to coordinator or, or Kyle Cass. I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I, I don't know who he would have in mind for coordinators. It's an interesting. He's an interesting candidate, but again, I I think that the Lions end up going somewhere else at the end of the day. Lawrence Flynn, who's at L Fly Eleven, I know you talked about it a bit yesterday, but I still find it odd the Lions are interviewing for head coach before the general manager situation is revolved. You see a GM hire in the next seven to ten days, but they really hire a head coach first. Love the pod. Hope you're well, and it will return at some point. Appreciate that, Lawrence. So I'm going to read you exactly what Rod Wood said today because he was asked about that. And I thought his answer was was pretty clear on that when it comes to why they would maybe hire a a head coach or, or even interviewing head coach Tang to that general manager in place. Quote, we're not really wed to a structure and we're not wed to waiting for a GM to be hired to find the head coach. As we've gone through the interview process with both GM and head coaching candidates, we've been sharing our ideas and they've been sharing with us their ideas on who a good coach would be if it was a general manager candidate and vice versa if it was a head coaching candidate. So there is going to be no surprise, I don't think, at the end with who we end up hiring on both sides. What we're looking for is people that can work together and be partners, not one working for the other necessarily. So it doesn't require us to hire a general manager first. It may work out that way because we're a little bit ahead of the general manager search relative to the head coaching search. But if we find the perfect head coach and we've not yet found a general manager, we're not going to wait on the coach. We're in competition with other teams who are interviewing some of the same people, and it's important, I think, to get the right coach. If that means we have to hire a coach first, that's what we'll do. That's why. Because other teams are interviewing head coaches first. Eric Bieniemy, for instance, has interviewed other places. Robert Sala has interviewed other places. Marvin Lewis has interviewed other places. It's not like other teams are just going to sit back, hey, let's see what the Lions do. Then we're going to make our moves. No, no, don't work like that. You have to be active in the marketplace and make sure you get the guy you want. 
So that's just kind of what it is. It doesn't matter GM-wise or head coach-wise. You're These are grown men. They have to be able to work together. Like, it's just as simple as that. Mike Kubiak, who's at Mike Kub, asks, why do national reporters most often get break stories now rather than beat reporters? Overall, has dynamic between beat reporters and players, coaches, execs changed in your experience, especially with the Lions emulating the Patriot way? Where do you see this headed? So I... I think national reporters have always kind of been in that situation. You're just you're more plugged into the league. You're you're talking to more people. Uh, a lot of it is information, and you know conversations about information. So it's not surprising that national reporters get and break stories. Um, do I think the dynamic has changed? I don't know. I mean, that's tough to say. Uh, I think the dynamic this year has been different, but that's just because of COVID and that's because of the way it is. I think it's it's been harder this year, but it's been harder on everybody this year. I don't necessarily get the sense that the dynamic between reporters and players, coaches, or executives have has changed for me in the eight years I've covered the Lions other than this year um, and not, just not being around people as often. Uh, I think it's still about relationships. It's still about trust. It's still about being curious and wanting to learn and wanting to be a conduit, for, at least as a reporter, being a conduit and get answers that fans want. Um, like, that's that's the gig. I, I don't think that the Lions emulating the quote-unquote Patriot way was, you know, hindered things. I mean, I think I told some of the better stories of my career and had players be as open if if more open to me with Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia in place uh I mean I with those guys in place this leads with players I went and spent a day at a Brooklyn firehouse with Romeo Aquara I spent a day in Tuscaloosa Alabama with Bo Scarborough like it's it's all at the end of the day going to be come down individual relationships with people and that's what it comes down to, no matter who the head coach is, who the general manager is, and who the players are, and who the owner is. That's just what it is. But, you know, I, I hope that once COVID's over, you know, I hope they bring back open locker room. I hope they bring back better access because I think that only helps um, everybody involved if there is more access. I, I truly believe that because at the end of the day, this is entertainment and this is, you know, something that fans pay to see and want to be informed by and have their, and learn about the players and coaches and executives that are making those decisions and, and why they happen. So I'm hoping that access doesn't completely go away once COVID subsides. Um, and, and that's that would be where I would look right now, but I, I don't know what that's going to look like. Jason Wolverton, who's at Jason Wolverton, asks, why are so fans so infuriated by Rod Wood? I'm reading how angry they are about Lions maybe hiring coach before GM, and now it's See, I told you he was making football decisions, even though they hired Spielman, presumably to help with football decisions. Yeah, I I don't get it either. I mean, I think it stems to Rod Wood's opening press conference where he talked about not being a football guy. And I think that that rubs some people the wrong way when it came to the fan base. And I mean, he's. Yeah, I mean, what do you? What do you he's a team president. Of course, he's going to be involved in decisions. And these aren't football decisions; these are hiring decisions. And, and Rod Woods hired and fired a lot of people in his career. Like he, he's done that. He's worked in finance. He's he's worked in business. Like, and what you're really doing right now is you're hiring 
business spend. You're, you're, you have to treat it almost like business hires. And that to me, that at least that's how I would approach it. And that to me, I think is, you know, that's fine that Rod Wood's in there. And they have Chris Spielman to answer some of the football questions. And Rod Wood himself even admitted this time around he has more of an understanding of really the role of a general manager, of what he thinks that there should be for a good head coach and a good general manager. Like there's more knowledge there this time around. I think that people are just sometimes looking for something to be angry and frustrated about. They brought in their football guy in Chris Spielman. Sheila Ford Hamp, the team owner, trusts Rod Wood. So, of course, Rod Wood's going to be involved in this. Like, he's the team president. Like, that's just what this is. Like, he's not sitting there being like, you know, you need to play Jamal Agnew over Danny Amendola because you need to get a look at Jamal Agnew. Like, Rod Wood's not doing that. Like, is he involved in some of the big ticket conversations that might affect the bottom line? Sure, but like that, any GM is going to have that, at least have that conversation with the owner and team president. Like, I mean, that's just going to happen. It's not like that GM's just going to, I'm going to make this decision. Like, I I don't get it. I mean, Rod Wood is in control of the business side of things more than anything. Like, that's really his main role. Now, have they done well on the business side? That's that's another conversation. I, I think they've done good with, done well with the updates to Ford Field. This year was tough on everybody. But to me, I don't get the I, I don't I've never understood the the frustration with Rod Wood. I just haven't. Um they've they've gone out and shown like, hey, we need football people involved here. They have Chris Spielman, they have Mike Disner, who's more of a football guy even though he's their cap guy, involved in terms of decisions after Bob Quinn was fired. They had three different football, well, four if you include Mike Disner, four different football people as their GM along with Daryl Bevel. Yes, did they report to Rodwood? Sure, but who else are they going to report to? Sheila? Like, come on. Like, they're going to report to Rod Wood because he's the team president, CEO. Like, that's just how this works in any business. And at the end of the day, it's a business. You know, now, what happens after they hire a new GM and head coach and who do those people report to? Who knows? That's up for debate. But I don't get why people are so mad about it. Ashley David Soden, who's at Soden AD, asks, where in terms of success, prestige, talent, do you hope the Lions will be in five years' time and where do you think they'll realistically be? That's a big question, Ashley. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, I think they'll be all right. I Where I hope they are, I, again, I mean, that goes back to the fan thing we talked about earlier, that that's just not my bag. Where do I think they will realistically be? I think they will have a new quarterback who will probably be in his third year starting. I think they will have five to six players that are currently on the roster starting for them. And those would be Decker in five years. Those would be Taylor Decker, Frank Ragnow, Jeff Okuda, DeAndre Swift, and Tracy Walker. I, I don't know. I, I want to say I think they will be in contention for a division title on a year-in, year-out basis because I just get the sense the Lions are going to get this right this time. Now, does get this right mean Super Bowl? Maybe, maybe not. Does get this right mean you're getting back to being a contender every year? 
getting into the playoffs. Yeah, I I think they're going to get this right. I just get the sense they're going to. Now, maybe I end up wrong. Maybe I end up horribly, horribly wrong. Maybe this whole little clip ends up on Old Takes Exposed. If Old Takes Exposed exists in five years. But I, I feel like in five years, they're going to be in a decent place. I think the roster is going to turn over greatly. I think you're going to see a lot of change. Um, but I think they're going to get this right. And I think more than anything else, you're going to see whoever they hi- hire as head coach and general manager now still be in place five years from now. I truly believe that. Again, don't know who those people are definitely going to be, but I get the sense that that is what what you're going to see from the Lions. I think they're going to get this get this right to at least the point of where they're contending again. By the way, this has been a really long show, so I'm impressed that you've gotten this far. I've got one question left, the last question on the show, then I've got one last nugget for you, and we're going to end this thing. Casby, you get the last question on the Michael Rothstein show, who's at Comacazzi21. You are Sheila Ford Hamp. Who do you hire and what do you what would you hope they would do in the next five years to turn this around? Want to end it on a five year I, I want to have a five year plan. Uh, you know, like Big Daddy, five year plan, don't die, but like five year plan. But if I am Sheila Ford Hamp, and I really want to take this as the last question because I thought it was a good place to end this show on who I think they hire. This is no true, clear information. This is only speculation. This is only what I think I would do if I were her, because that is how it was framed. I I think the favorites at this point for the position are probably Thomas Dimitrov and maybe Robert Sala, but he hasn't even interviewed yet. What I would do, but I mean, again, that's just speculation. What I would do, I would probably hire Thomas Dimitrov. And I would I would give heavy consideration to hire Marvin Lewis. I know that that's not probably the, the sexy hire. That's not the exciting hire. But you need to stabilize this organization. You need to bring some consistency to this organization. Marvin Lewis, as I talked about before, did it in 16 years in Cincinnati. Sure, he didn't win every year, but I don't think you understand how hard it is to win in Cincinnati consistently. And he has been the only stabilization coach that the Bengals have had in like three decades. He knows how to do it. He knows how to make a team competitive immediately. I have some concerns about his age at 62 if you're looking at it for a real long-term possibility. But if you got it rolling in five, six years and Marvin Lewis wants to walk away, you've got probably a successor lined up. But I would I would really I would look heavily at Marvin Lewis and I would look heavily at Eric Bieniemy, And I would look heavily at Robert Sala, all of which they're doing. They're doing all of those things. I think at the end of the day, I would hire I would hire Thomas Dimitrov and I would hire. I don't know. I'm not in on the interviews. If if I wanted experience and I heard the right things from Marvin Lewis as far as how long he wants to coach and what his staff would look like and what his plan would be, I think I would look at Marvin Lewis. If I did not like those answers, I think I would go with Robert Sala. I think that would be what I would do. Those would be the the ways I would go. And 
what what would I hope they would do in five years? I mean, win, create that vision that that you sold me on as an owner, and and work together. Don't infight. Make decisions. Make decisions you believe are right. Instill a a culture that's positive. Instill a culture that is trying to get the best out of players that doesn't have them in fear of making mistakes all the time. And and trust your players. Treat them treat them well. Treat your employees well. Um and I think that if you do that, guys want to play for you and win for you and and the rest of it somewhat takes care of itself. And you know, that's something that the Lions didn't have with Matt Patricia. It's what they did have under Jim Caldwell. Um so to me, that would be, I think, what I would do. Now, I don't know if that's what the Lions are going to do. I don't know if that's what the Lions should do. But I think that's what I would do uh, as I've thought about this. I, I would do that. I mean, the other thing I would really maybe look at as a head coach is I would, or in the head coaching role is I would talk to Pat Fitzgerald. I would talk to Lincoln Riley. I would talk to Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. And I would say hey what would it take to get you to to come here college coaches are you know like every other coach kind of a crapshoot you just don't really know but i like what you see and david shaw as well in stanford like those four college coaches i would really want to have conversations with to get a sense of of what they thought and if they were interested and that would be i think the other way i would go beyond like the candidates that they're talking to or that we know that they're talking to that would be that would be what I would do. But again, I, I don't know. That's It's a tough call, though. It really, really is. Um, and not being able to sit down and talk with the, these people, you know, with any length of time. I just, just a guess. So that is it. That is the Michael Rothstein Show. Before we go, I said that at the end, if you made it this long, I would have one last nugget for you. So... I haven't really talked about this much on the show, but um, over the last month or so, I've dealt with some minor health issues, but it's largely been um, headaches and some dizziness. I've had it before. I had vertigo a few years ago, uh, but it, it's been some dizziness, some headaches, some ringing in the ears, and, and I've had to go to special some specialists and some doctor's appointments over the last month, uh, last few weeks of the regular season, and I'm fine, by the way. I, I'm good. I, I was sitting in... Uh, in my in the, one of the doctor's offices and they were asking me some questions about just my diet my stress levels and they were trying to figure out some of the things of why i might be having some of the symptoms i'm having and one of the questions that the uh, vestibular therapist that i was meeting with um, asked me was about my posture and I, I couldn't help when I got a question about how my posture was and, and what concerns there might be about my posture. Couldn't help but laugh because, I mean, we've gotten questions about it on the podcast. It comes up on Twitter that, you know, about my Matt Patricia and I's kind of posture running a few years ago and just kind of thought that that was a, a funny, interesting little story to maybe end on because, Maybe Matt Patricia was right, and maybe my posture can be a little bit better because I've got, obviously, a vestibular therapist now asking me about it. So, Matt Patricia, I appreciate the concern about the posture, 
uh, turns out that maybe just maybe you might have been onto something and could have saved me from headaches and from uh, some ringing in my ears potentially. But, you know, I'm fine. I just want to make it very clear. I am okay. And that has nothing to do with why the podcast is ending. I just, I just thought it was funny that, you know, my posture comes into play once again. And uh, that she said I should probably get a chair that will help sit me up straighter. So, yeah, that is the Michael Rothstein show. All 200 episodes of it. Uh, as I said at the top, I'm so appreciative of Blue Wire for hosting this podcast for so many of these episodes. For Regents Field for being a, a sponsor for so many of these episodes. All the sponsors we've had. But most of all, I want to thank my dad want to thank my brother not that my brother listens to this but my dad i know does we'll see if he gets this far in the podcast but i want to thank my friends want to thank my family members want to thank my colleagues at espn because so many of them have been on this show and i'm so grateful for all of them and lastly and most importantly i want to thank you the listener for hanging around for 200 episodes and chilling with us and just hopefully gaining some inside knowledge and and some insight from this you can follow me on Twitter, and I hope you do, at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Instagram, and I hope you do, at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Facebook, and I hope you do, at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And with that, this is it. This is the Michael Rothstein Show, and we are out.